Welcome to the very first episode of what, God willing, will be a regular series. I'll be your host, C.L. Fuquay, and this is Christ and Cthulhu, finding telos in the fiction of H.P. Lovecraft, or simply, Christ and Cthulhu. This is basically a combination of two passions of mine. I wanted to start this podcast because I am a huge fan and admirer of H.P. Lovecraft and his various works. His creation of a purely new genre of horror and sci-fi, that is, cosmic horror, is an achievement of immense creativity. His influence has reverberated into pop culture, media, and literature since the early 20th century. And on into the 21st century, he's still sparking the imagination of countless people. And in what can only be described as criminal, many of these people may not even know it's his creations they love. Don't just take it from me, though. For a quick example, Lovecraft's works have been volumized and released by such esteemed publishers as Penguin Classics Publishing, Barnes & Noble's Library of Essential Writers series, and very notably, Library of America. He's been hailed by writers and artists alike with people as varied as Stephen King, Neil Gaiman, Guillermo del Toro, Joyce Carol Oates, Peter Straub, Ramsey Campbell, Brian Lumley, on and on it goes. He's grouped with authors like Edgar Allan Poe, H.G. Wells, J.R.R. Tolkien, and Aldous Huxley in terms of literary impact. In short, his stories are a force to be reckoned with. I, like many others, I suspect, began my fascination with Lovecraft by soaking up the various elements of his Cthulhu mythos, watching videos from devoted fans which faithfully explored the lore of his fantastic tales. I eventually found myself in a Barnes & Noble's bookstore one day, where I saw a large special edition of his collected works called The Necronomicon, and said, what the heck, and bought it. I figured if I loved the creatures, characters, and worlds he created so much, I should maybe try actually reading the source material. Fancy that. I began, like most, with The Call of Cthulhu, and since the next episode, God willing, will be about that story, I'll keep it brief here. Let's just say I quickly realized I was reading a masterpiece. Since that fateful day, I've soaked up many, many of his stories with my personal favorite, as of this recording, being Shadow Over Innsmouth. This is all well and good, but there are plenty of books, podcasts, and articles saying basically the same thing I've said, but coming from much more talented, well-read, and eloquent voices. What can I bring to this eldritch table? Well, aside from being a devoted fan of Lovecraft, I am also an Eastern Orthodox Christian. Eastern Orthodoxy traces its historical and spiritual roots all the way back to the original Apostles of Christ himself and the explosion of the Christian faith on the day of Pentecost. Take a step back with me and have a look at this. To say one greatly admires and enjoys reading tales of cosmic horror which present an essentially hostile and nihilistic universe where the gods are impersonal, incomprehensible monstrosities which care nothing for the human race and creation, well, that's one thing. To say you enjoy this while you yourself are a believer in a religion and cosmic worldview where the God, which is unknowable, incomprehensible, and unapproachable, condescends to become part of his beloved creation, to save that creation, and ultimately purposes for mankind to be glorified, becoming like him? Well, how can we reconcile the two? Do we need to? This is where I found myself thinking, perhaps I could offer something that has not been presented. Sure, there's plenty of material about Tolkien and Christianity, C.S. Lewis and Christianity, etc., etc., and well, there should be. 
These literary giants were masters in their own right and were directly influenced by Christianity to create exquisite creations of fantasy and sci-fi, which point directly back to their source of inspiration. But what, if any, capital T truth can be gleaned from Yogg-Sothothri, as Lovecraft referred to his mythos? This is an endeavor I think worth exploring. So let's explore the orthodox conception of telos for a bit. First, let me begin by saying I am not a theologian, I am not a teacher of the orthodox church, and do not speak for the church or my particular parish authoritatively. I am merely a layperson who is struggling to live out his spiritual faith as best he can within the body of the church. I will shed what little light I have been given on certain matters as they pertain to our discussion of Lovecraft's fiction, much in the same way as if you and I were sitting by the fire enjoying a strong drink and having a conversation. But if you have serious inquiries about the Orthodox Church, please find your nearest parish and speak to the priest. Now, telos in the Orthodox faith is the end goal of mankind. It is where we are going as a creation. In fact, all of creation is headed towards a definitive point with human beings as the crown jewel, so to speak. St. Paul expounds on this when he says, quote, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, end quote. We are given a glimpse of this glory in the gospel accounts when Christ is transfigured on Mount Tabor. He radiates with bright light and power to the limit of what his disciples can physically stand. It is taken for granted in our day, but to even imagine back in biblical times that the God of the Hebrews, the God whose name was too holy to be written down or spoken, this God would enflesh himself in the womb of a virgin girl, becoming one of us to raise our human nature to divine heights. That was absolutely unthinkable. I always love that aspect of Lovecraft's outer gods, the unknowable, incomprehensible nature of them. They are so unlike us. It reminds me of a chapter in Isaiah 55, the passage says, quote, My thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, end quote. But where the Cthulhu mythos radically splinters from the Christian faith is that God reveals his truth to humanity, and the truth is that we will be like him. In Lovecraftian fiction, mankind never connects to the outer gods in any meaningful sense, and what little is revealed is inevitably leads to the person's insanity or demise. This is the cornerstone of cosmic horror. So, what can you expect in the upcoming episodes? I will most definitely be exploring the Cthulhu mythos stories which contain these incomprehensible beings, so many have come to love. As far as shorter stories of Lovecraft, those will probably be utilized for standalone episodes between these larger stories. It is my intention to have guests eventually who can shed more light on theological or Lovecraftian themes as well. An interesting side note to all this, the Orthodox Church is, in a sense, connected to the Cthulhu mythos in that Lovecraft states in his History of the ne Necronomicon, quote, In AD 950, the Azif, which had gained a considerable though surreptitious following amongst the philosophers of the age, was secretly translated into Greek by Theodorus Philatus of Constantinople under the title Necronomicon. For a century, it impaled certain experimenters to terrible attempts when it was suppressed and burnt by the patriarch Michael, end quote. 
That's the historical patriarch of Constantinople, which is one of the major patriarchs in the Eastern Orthodox Communion. So there you have it. Our church tried to protect humanity from this accursed tome of forbidden knowledge. As you'll see in the stories to come, Lovecraft has a way of weaving actual history, events, locations, and people into his tales to give them a very eerie feeling, as if they could have actually happened. But let's talk about the man himself for a bit. So for those who aren't familiar with Howard Phillips Lovecraft, or as he's commonly known, H.P. Lovecraft, let's explore. Lovecraft was born in Providence, Rhode Island in 1890 and died in 1937. He had a very troubled childhood, to put it mildly, yet despite his virtual lack of compulsory education, became quite well-read in a variety of different kinds of literature. He is, of course, known as the ultimate master and father of cosmic horror literature and stands shoulder to shoulder in terms of renown with his personal hero, Edgar Allan Poe. If one looks into Lovecraft or some of his writings, inevitably the subject of some of his more detestable social views comes up. One could say he was a man of his time, but in my humble opinion, that would be incorrect. He was more accurately a man out of time, perhaps a century or two behind in his tastes and sensibilities. His views did seem to gradually soften over time, but he would never reach levels of inclusivity that would pass by today's social standards. However, I personally believe to ignore or discard an author as important as Lovecraft because he doesn't fit the 21st century cultural mold is the height of arrogance and ignorance. Many prominent apologists for Lovecraft will say as much. However, I would like to point out a slightly more uncomfortable truth, and that like many artists who are afflicted with an addiction or malady of some kind, it was this imperfection which fueled the creativity for him to write what he did. Certainly in stories like Horror at Red Hook, it isn't quite as nuanced or cleverly communicated as in Shadow Over Innsmouth. But without his xenophobia altogether, he probably would have been a much less interesting horror writer thematically. Much in the same way Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails or Dave Gaughan of Depeche Mode would have written much less impactful lyrics and music had they not struggled with their drug addictions. What else besides racialism inspired the themes of Lovecraft? Nihilism. Nihilism was perhaps the biggest factor in forming the tales of ultimate existential horror, which oozed from his mind and onto the page. This is honestly what makes him a more fascinating writer to me than any other I've encountered. Besides my general affection for the melancholic and macabre, it is the way in which he is able to weave this perfectly anti-Christian cosmology into eloquently written weird fiction. I suspect we will explore this thickly wooded philosophical forest the more we read from his tales. But to say one final thing on this subject, I have read maybe a few novels where the orthodox Christian worldview is a given, Crime and Punishment and Loras to name a couple. On the other end of the spectrum is Lovecraft's Call of Cthulhu or At the Mountains of Madness. But basically everything else falls somewhere in this hazy middle. This is not to say, by any means, I don't admire or love stories which do not fall into either extreme. But for a devoted believer in the Orthodox faith, I find myself more hooked into the stories of these purely Orthodox worlds and, curiously enough, the antithetical Lovecraftian worlds. By which I mean Lovecraftian in theme, whether it be a short story by Neil Gaiman or Revival by Stephen King, or for instance, from one of my personal favorites, Swedish author John Lindquist in his very Lovecraftian tale, Harbor. 
Lovecraft started the genre, but thanks to his friends, it continued down to today in his spiritual successors. This was an all too brief summary of the man, but it will have to do for now. If you managed to stick around this long, I thank you from the bottom of my squamous and loathsome heart. Next week, we begin The Call of Cthulhu. Thank you for listening. I've been your host, C.L. Fuquay, and until next time, remember, that is not dead which can eternal lie, and with strange aeons, even death may die. The excellent music for this podcast was provided by a couple of artists. First, we have composer Graham Plowman. You can find his music on a host of streaming services and his website, grahamplowman.com. And we also have Cryo Chamber, which you can find by searching Cryo Chamber Music on Facebook or YouTube. Also, a special shout-out to Dora Alvarez for helping with editing and production. 